These are powerful scripture passages we hear today. In the first reading we hear of Elijah. He goes to the mountain of God and he, he goes up the mountain so he can listen to God's voice. He wants to do God's will and so he knows he needs to listen to the voice of God if he's going to know what God wants so that he can do it. Not his own will, but he wants to do God's will. So he goes to listen to God's voice. And on the mountain, he has the experience of um, the wind and the earthquake and the fire. But the Lord isn't in those big and obvious things. God's voice is in the quiet, silent sound that speaks to him. And he has to listen carefully to God's voice. This is such a great example to us because God's voice is often not heard in the busyness and, and chaos of our maybe daily lives, but we have to go to prayer. We have to take time in quiet in order to hear God's voice speaking to us. There are three major ways that God speaks to us. All of them are important. Prayer, our own personal prayer, scripture, and the church. The ch God speaks to us powerfully through the church's teachings. In today's gospel then, we have another example of prayer and solitude. This time is Jesus himself. Jesus himself goes up the mountain to pray. The mountain so often in the scriptures is an example of the encounter with God, seeking that encounter with God, going up the mountain to be alone with him. And so Jesus goes up the mountain and he spends the night in prayer with his father because he wants to do the father's will. But then the gospel continues and we hear about the stormy sea and the apostles being tossed on the waves and then Jesus walking on the sea. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Just what a great story of trust in Jesus. Way beyond his natural abilities. He cannot walk, okay, we cannot walk on water, right? But if Jesus says, come, Lord, I want to do your will. Even if it's something I don't understand, if it takes tremendous courage to do God's will, I want to do God's will. That's what Peter was trying to do. That's what Elijah was trying to do. And of course, Jesus himself doing the will of the Father. We must always seek to do God's will. I want to talk today about one of the biggest topics that challenges us as Catholics in the modern world. There is nowhere that the church and the culture clash more than in the church's teaching on sexual morality and openness to life. This summer we celebrate the 65th anniversary of a very significant papal encyclical called Humanae Vitae, which means on human life. And so I want to talk about this encyclical and why it's so important. In Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI reaffirmed the constant teaching of the church that the use of contraception is gravely immoral. Now to understand Humanae Vitae, we first need to understand the cultural situation in when and where and why it was written. So Humanae Vitae was written in 1968, right in the midst of the beginning of the modern sexual revolution. Why did the sexual revolution begin in the 1960s? The reason is because of the contraceptive pill. The pill was invented in 1950. And so by 1960, any woman who wanted the pill had access to it. The, this radically changed the world forever. You cannot change the intimate relationships of men and women as radically as the pill did 
without there being significant consequences and changes in the way that men and women relate and in just the way the world functions, the way families function. The sin of lust has plagued the human race from the very beginning. The Bible tells us repeatedly of stories of those who gave themselves over to lust and dominion over their bodies with lust. Lust in the modern world, though, is spinning completely out of control. We are, in our, in our modern world, we are the smartest, the wisest, the most industrious, most prosperous people that have ever lived. And yet, the modern world is the most sexually depraved culture in the history of the world. I think there's a number of factors that play into that, but the number one reason is contraception. Why is that? The world was told that contraception would lead to greater marriages and greater intimacy between men and women. But it has actually ended up doing the opposite to a large extent. As proof of it not helping marriages but actually hurting them, the divorce rate shot through the roof in parallel with the use of contraception. In the 1960s and 70s, as, as contraception use began to be normal, if you look at a graph of, of, of um, the use of contraception and the, and the divorce rate, they go up exactly in sequence with one another. It's very interesting how those two seem to go hand in hand. In Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI not only condemned the use of contraception, but he also made predictions about the bad consequences that would happen in the world if it was used. This is 65 years ago. Listen to these predictions that Pope Paul VI made. He said it would open the way for marital infidelity. Well, we have extremely rampant marital infidelity in our world today, much higher rates than it was 65 years ago. Why is that? Because if there's no chance of conceiving a child, it is much easier to be unfaithful to your spouse and nobody knows about it, right? Very quickly, marital infidelity became very easy to do. Pope, the Pope he said that it would, there would be a general lowering of moral standards in our world. We almost don't even have moral standards in our world, right? The culture has just become so depraved in so many ways. He said it would make it easy, especially for the young, to break the moral law. Again, if there's no fear of pregnancy, then that, if that, that's taken away, it's very easy for the young to just fall into sin and to choose to break the moral law. He said we would forget the reverence due to a woman. And it's clear in our world today that we do not respect and honor women the way that we should. In fact, we don't even know what a woman is in a, anymore in our world today. And he said that it, it would enable governments to misuse or even impose the use of contraceptives on peoples. For example, look at China, that for the longest time had a one-child policy, now I think they have a two-child policy, and they forcibly will, will make people get uh, sterilized or, or even abortions if they have more than one child or two children. Um, this is so depraved and it all comes from this one source. The reason these things happen, all these negative things happen as a result of contraception is this, because contraception has artificially freed men and women from fertility. It has separated the essential connection between the conception of children and sexual behavior. The result is that contraception changes the relationship of men and women, not only on a physical level, but on a psychological level. The way men and women think about each other is different. 
if there's no physical possibility of conceiving new life with the other person, it becomes all too easy to use your spouse or someone who's not your spouse simply as a means of pleasure without respecting the wholeness of their person and their ability to give life. The awe and reverence for the other person as someone you could literally make a new life with is gone. On the other hand, when contraception is not used, there's a tremendous and automatic respect you have to have for your spouse, realizing that you may very well conceive a child with them through your sexual union. You cannot merely use one another or merely enjoy a pleasure together. You take a risk together. You go on an adventure together. And you put God in the place, give him a place in your life and in your marriage together. Contraception promises women control. Having absolute control over conceiving children was supposed to be the greatest thing that could be possible for women. It gave them control over their intimate relationships. So now women can be free and even reckless in their intimate relationships. And there will be no consequences of a child as a result. It promised her the ability to have control over her career so that children wouldn't get in the way of her climbing the corporate ladder. It promised her the ability to control her finances and lifestyle with no children or less children than she could have more to spend on herself and the lifestyle that she wanted. But has this increase in control been good for women and men and society? The answer is no. In the end, this grasping at control degrades love and degrades relationships. Today, there is rampant promiscuity, fornication, adultery, divorce, pornography, homosexuality, abortion, and now transgenderism at levels that were unimaginable 65 years ago. All of this has its roots in contraception because the modern world thinks that our sexual you know, ability is merely for pleasure and it's fine to do whatever you want with your body and that justifies all of these, these things that the, the church says are wrong but the culture says are okay. If pleasure is the only purpose that we're, we're living for in our bodies, then everything is justified. Promiscuity is justified. Um, fornication is justified. Adultery is justified. Divorce, pornography, homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism. If, if it's all about pleasure, then everything is justified. But if our bodies and our sexuality are made for children, then they have a purpose that's deeper than just pleasure. And the church is teaching that we cannot do these things because children are a natural result of the sexual union. Then everything makes sense and all the church's teachings make sense. That's not what God intended that we would have all of these things happening in our world today. God intended that the sexual union would be for the purpose of union and procreation. And he never intended them to be separated. In other words, only a man and a woman who desire to be united for life and open to children should engage in a sexual union. That's exactly what marriage is. Right? Marriage is the union of one man and one woman who unite their entire lives so closely together and intimately together that is total, faithful, and open to life. To use our sexuality in a way that violates this truth is evil and it leads to evil results. That is why the sexual union is called the marital act because that act is only appropriate within marriage where there's a desire for a lifelong union and an openness to children. 
The Bible from the beginning to the end shows us the children are a great gift, the supreme gift of married love. And when God blesses, a chi- God blesses a couple, he gives them a child. The importance of openness to life and marriage has always been taught by the Bible and the church. But as our culture was radically changing in the 1960s, the church began receiving enormous pressure to change her teaching and go along with the culture. So Pope Paul VI, he decided to study the issue. He put together a, a group to begin looking at this and studying this issue and saying, should the church change its teaching with the culture or should it be faithful to the 2,000 year tradition that we have always taught that the sexual union must be always open to life? He then wrote Humane Vitae. And so in 1968, he published one of the most significant documents that continue to shape the church's moral teaching today. This document clearly affirmed the church's position that contraception as an intentional means of avoiding pregnancy is gravely immoral and can never be justified. This document felt like a bomb on the world. It was very unexpected that the church would not change her teaching, and yet it didn't. This led to widespread dissent, not only among many lay Catholics, but also from many priests and bishops who thought the church should change her teaching. But the church cannot change this teaching because the church doesn't have the freedom to just change teachings. All the church's teachings come from Christ. They're what God has revealed to us, not because the church wants things one way or another, but because the church teaches what God teaches. And God has put love and life together and they cannot be separated. As scripture says, what God has joined together, let no one pull apart, let no one separate. Sadly, there are many in the church who still want to change this teaching and who think that we should go along with the sexual revolution. But this simply cannot happen because we cannot redefine the sexual act. Only the union of a man and a woman for, for union and life-giving love is appropriate. A couple is free to choose if they engage in the marital act, but they are not free to redefine the marital act. So what does a couple do in order to plan their family? The Pope, Pope Paul VI, in Humanae Vitae, he, he recognized that families do need to be able to plan their families. Um, there may be good reasons why a, a child should be postponed for a certain amount of time. And so the church has always been a strong supporter of natural family planning, or NFP. NFP is very simple. It is a scientific method that has been developed, especially over the last several decades, and become very perfected in the way that we understand our bodies and especially a woman's fertility. And we know now when she is likely to conceive or when she is not. Using this knowledge, a husband and a wife can choose to engage in marital union or not in order to try to conceive a child or try to avoid conceiving a child. It has 99% success rate when it is used properly. That's how scientific it is in understanding fertility. NFP has tremendous benefits. There's basically no cost to it. There are zero pills that need to be taken and there are no negative health risks. In fact, it helps women understand their bodies and their fertility and it even helps women many times to understand there's maybe things that need to be addressed regarding their bodies and their fertility. So why do so many people opt for using contraception instead of using NFP? 
I think one reason is simply because many people do not know about it, do not understand the scientific way of understanding our fertility. But for many, there's another reason, and that's simply this. NFP requires abstinence for approximately eight days every month when a woman is fertile. Contraception requires no abstinence. That's the difference. It is much easier to just say, we are going to control our fertility how we want and when we want using contraception rather than respecting the way that God has designed a woman's body as wonderful and understandable and abstaining from intimacy during those times. In Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI recognized that couples are able to manage their family size, not to do this for selfish reasons, but if it's truly God's will that we should postpone having a child at this time, to use the means that God has given us. So this means that contraception is out. In an article I read recently, a woman was um, writing in support of the church's teachings on fertility and family planning. And she said this, she said, the world, both Catholic and otherwise, is commonly asking me if I want another child. She said, that's the wrong question. Because I am a woman and I'm married, I have to be open to life. That's how God made us. That's his purpose for us. In other words, being open to life is not just a physical action, it's a mindset. God, do you want me to have another child? Then I want to receive that child. And so accepting that love and life are inextricably linked together, this is the Christian worldview. It means entrusting ourselves, our marriages, and any possible future children that may be conceived into God's hands. Speaking on this topic as a priest does not make me popular, does not make any priest popular to speak on this issue. That's the reason that most priests will never speak on a moral topic like this. Because it's difficult to do, it's difficult to hear, uh, and it, it, it can make a priest very unpopular. But I was not ordained to be popular. I was ordained to preach the fullness of the truth as given to us by God through the Bible and through the church. That being said, the church's teaching is not meant to be a burden. Let me say that again. The church's teaching is not meant to be a burden on couples. It is actually trying to teach couples authentic love like God loves. And when we love like God loves, there's tremendous joy and happiness. The church's teachings can be challenging and difficult, and I fully admit that. But they are life-giving and joy-giving because they are loving like God loves. A love that is, that is total, faithful, and open to life. This is the paradox of faith, that if we want happiness, we must not begin by grasping at it for ourselves, but we must begin by doing God's will. And when we do God's will, he gives us happiness. He gives us joy. When we begin to understand love and marriage the way the church does and try to live it, we will experience tremendous joy that comes from the pure love of God. The church is not trying to impose rules on people. It's trying to liberate us and teach us how to love like God loves. This is the most fulfilling kind of love that there is. One of the great leaders of our age, Archbishop Chaput, he was asked by a young couple, what are we to do in the midst of this age in which we live? His answer was very simple. Love each other get married, stay faithful to one another, 
have lots of children and raise those children to be men and women of Christian character. Faith is a seed. It takes time. But the future belongs to people with children, not those with things. Things rust and break. Every child is a universe of possibilities. So let me offer some concluding thoughts. What do I want you to do? I want you to pray about these things. No matter how old you are, no matter what your state in life, pray about, God, what is your will for me? What do you want of me? If this teaching challenges you, please do not disregard it. Read Humanae Vitae. It's, it's literally only 15 pages on the Vatican website. And read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what it teaches about our human sexuality. It's beautiful and brilliantly written. If there are parts in your life that you need to bring to confession, do it. The priest isn't going to make a big deal about it and he wants to welcome you back. He wants to pour out God's mercy over you. But we do need to confess our sins. Even if we didn't realize how serious the sin was at the time or were ashamed of them, we have to bring them to confession. If you are currently using contraception, it's important to stop. Look into learning the methods of natural family planning instead. If you've had a sterilization, consider having it reversed, especially if you are still in childbearing years. This sin can be forgiven in confession, but a wound still remains of the children that God may have wished to give, but that he could not. So talk to God and ask him with an open heart, Lord, what do you want of me? This is what we hear about Elijah going up the mountain because he wants to hear God's voice and do God's will. We have the example of Jesus going up the mountain to hear God's voice and to do his will. And that's what we must imitate, to go up the mountain, listen to God's voice, and to do God's will. God is love. He loves you and me with a love that we cannot imagine. And he calls us to participate in his love, especially in the sacrament of marriage. A couple becomes an image of the love of God a love that is free, total, faithful, and open to life.